Hello, and welcome to Solid Word Bible Church. On behalf of Pastor J. Curtis Costin, we are delighted that you are joining us and trust that you will be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Good morning, Solid Word friends and family. Uh, I am honored again to be uh, sharing God's Word with you this morning. And I'm excited about uh, what he has to say for us this morning. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about leaning into Christ. Uh, after my sermon last week, as I often do, I sought feedback from my chief sermonic advisor, also known as my wife, Karen. And, uh, and she told me that uh, uh, she felt like the sermon uh, was good. It was encouraging, but she would have liked uh, to uh, have heard a little bit more about what it meant to lean into Christ. And so through prayer, and through some study, uh, I believe that the Lord has given me a word that allows us to uh, really kind of walk through a framework for what it means to lean into Christ. And for our scripture uh, reference this morning, we're going to be coming out of Colossians, the second chapter, verses six through nine. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And there you will find these words. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we now come to you uh, wanting, needing, expecting to hear from you. God, I pray that uh, as we walk through your word, that your spirit would shine a light, not only on your word, but then shine a light on our hearts, shine a light into our lives to show us where we are not in alignment with your word, to show us where we need to make adjustment according to your word, and to show us also where we can find encouragement, where we can find strength and confidence in your word. God, I, I need, um, you in everything that I do this morning, God. And I pray that uh, you would not help me to preach this word, but that you would preach this word through me. Set me down, God. Uh, let nothing that comes out of my mouth be from me. Let it all be from your spirit. And then God, uh, I look to you. I believe that you will do what only you can do. And that is make sure that your word does not return to you void and that it accomplishes all that you sent it forth to accomplish. God, as you open up the scriptures, open up our minds as well. Set our hearts on fire. Help us to see wondrous things in your word. All these things we ask in your son Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, for this morning, uh, our sermon aim is a careful examination, and the hope is, is that by a careful examination of the instruction given by Paul to the Colossians, uh, that we would then have a framework for how to lean into Christ in times of uncertainty. And for a few points this morning, we're going to be covering three things, and that is that to lean into Christ, we must, one, remind ourselves of who Christ is in our lives, Two, we must remember what Christ has done for us. And thirdly, we must remove things that are contrary to Christ. Now, <clears throat> by way of a little bit of an introduction, early in our marriage, uh, my wife and I, we actually lived in Evansville, Indiana for a couple of years. And it was there that our oldest daughter, Jayla, was born. We moved from Evansville to Memphis, Tennessee when she was around one. Uh, and after being there a year or so, my second daughter, Hannah, was born in Memphis. 
And for a couple of years, my wife stayed home with them and did what you would normally do with young children. She read to them, she played games with them, she helped them to learn the alphabet, to learn numbers, and to learn sight words. Now, <clears throat> when my wife decided to return to work, we were blessed and fortunate to find a uh, wonderful in-home daycare center for them to go to, uh, and they really enjoyed it. And the learning continued even while they were at that in-home daycare. And I remember one day, my oldest daughter, Jayla, came to ask me a question about something. Uh, and, and she called out to me like she always would do, but I noticed something different this time when she called out to me. While the letters were the same, D-A-D-D-Y, uh, the way she said them wasn't. While I was expecting daddy, instead I got deity. Deity. My daughter had a Memphis Southern drawl. Now, neither my wife uh, nor I had that same Memphis Southern drawl, and Karen knew that she didn't teach her that drawl, uh, and we surmised that she must have picked it up from the daycare center and the other children who were there. And despite how we spoke, despite how Karen had taught her, the environment that she was in uh, still began to have an effect on her and began to influence her until it became evident in how she spoke. Similarly, uh, this Colossian church had begun to take on the characteristics of the culture that they lived in. And Paul, knowing that this isn't how they were taught, writes to them to urge them instead to lean into Christ. Now, <clears throat> a little bit of context for Coloss. Coloss is located in the southern part of an ancient region that's called Phrygia, uh, which is present-day Turkey. And in this region, uh, you had mysticism of the Far East uh, that was very prevalent. Because it was on a main trade route, many Jews, many Phrygians, and many Greeks came to Coloss. And so you also had a mix of, of backgrounds in Coloss as well that made for a very interesting cultural center where these new ideas, these new doctrines from the East were being discussed and considered all the time. And as you can imagine, the environment um, created some cross pressures for these Christians in Coloss. It created some struggles. It created some conflicts and some confusion and doubts as they tried to maintain their Christian identities in the midst of these worldly crosswinds. And some were falling for it, right? Some were beginning to think that Christ wasn't enough and that they needed something more to sustain them in their lives. These ungodly influences and pressures created concern within Paul. And even though he was imprisoned in Rome and had never even been to Coloss, he still was burdened and compelled to write to them and to warn them and to protect them in an attempt to protect them from those who would try to lead them astray. And in the midst of this pressure, in the midst of these struggles, these conflicts, this confusion, these doubts, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, Paul's advice for them is to lean into Christ and to lean into who Christ is and what he has done for them. So let's get into the text, right? Here in verse six, Paul starts off with a therefore. Now, uh, of course, all of uh, the astute Bible scholars uh, watching this know that whenever we see a therefore, we have to take time to understand what the therefore is there for. So right before verse six, Paul expresses to the Colossians, because I care for you, and this is Paul talking, right? I want to see your good discipline and I want to see your stability in your faith in Christ. 
And as a result, I'm going to now lay out some instructions for you. So verse six is where Paul begins those instructions for the, uh, for the Colossian church. And so he goes on to tell them first, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, I know at first that may not sound like a lot. It almost sounds like maybe some uh, advice you might get from a fortune cookie, kind of lofty and kind of fluffy. Uh, without a lot of meat in there. But let's take a little bit of time to kind of walk through what Paul is saying here. First, it's clear, right, that Paul is linking how the Colossians received Christ with how they should walk in Christ. There is some kind of cause and effect relationship that Paul is implying exists. Now, while we understand what it means to receive something, we do have to ask ourselves uh, in this context, what is it that Paul means when he uses the word received? Well, <clears throat> this word is a technical term and it carries with it the idea of acquiring something based on tradition or based on a reputation or on an account that has been uh, told to you. In other words, Paul is indicating that the Colossians received the person of Christ by means of the authoritative teaching about Christ that they heard. If we push this a little bit further, what they would have received by way of this authoritative teaching is that Jesus is a high priest, the only one qualified to stand in the gap between God and man and become the sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the world. They would have received that Jesus is a prophet, declaring God's will and illuminating the scriptures, literally God the Son speaking in unity with God the Father. And lastly, they would have received that Jesus is king, sovereign over all, given all power and authority by God the Father to rule over all creation. Okay, so we've got some insight now into what Paul means when he uses received. Now let's turn our attention to walk. And this term is pretty straightforward, actually, because when Paul says walk, he just really means how the Colossians live their lives day in and day out, from sunup to sundown, and everything in between. Hmm. Now, remember, <clears throat> I said that Paul indicates that there is some kind of cause and effect relationship between receiving Christ and walking in Christ. So if we take the, that premise and apply what we just went through regarding receiving and walking, then what we see is that Paul says, look, in the same way or according to the same criteria, the same conditions by which you first received Christ, namely that he is a prophet, that he is a priest, that he is a king, you should also live your lives day in and day out from sunup to sundown like he is a prophet, like he is a priest, like he is a king. And in context, Paul is admonishing and he's encouraging the Colossians, right, to not let the pressures, to not let the struggles, the conflicts, the confusion, the doubts, the uncertainty of their environment make them live in a way that conflicts with who they say Christ is. Simply put, Paul is telling them that their walk should match their talk. And this brings me to my very first takeaway, and that is that leaning into Christ right? It first begins with receiving him for who he is and reflecting that in every aspect, in every area of our lives. This, of course, begins with accepting his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, but it doesn't stop there. 
It can't stop there. Remember, he is not just a priest, but he is a prophet, right? Meaning that he, when he speaks, uh, he speaks wisdom and he speaks truth and his commands are right. And he is also a sovereign king, meaning that everything in our lives should be subjected to his will. So to lean into Christ, we must first remind ourselves of who he is in our lives. Secondly, uh, to lean into Christ, we must remember uh, what Christ has done for us. <clears throat> After reminding them of who Christ is and what, uh, should, what that should mean for them, how they should live their lives, Paul goes on in verse 7 to help the Colossians remember what Christ has done for them. And he points out three critical things. Uh, first, he says that they have been firmly rooted. While I don't want to get too much into the weeds, it is important to point out that in the original Greek, the verb used here is a perfect middle participle. And I bring that up only to point out that this particular verb means that the act of them being rooted is something that happened to them in the past. They didn't root themselves, but they were rooted by someone else, Christ namely, and this rooting has ongoing effects throughout their lives which naturally leads us to ask, what are those ongoing effects? Well, that leads to the second thing that Paul wants them to remember that Christ has done for them. And that is that they are now being built up, but built up into what? Well, in Ephesians 4 and 13, Paul tells us that the church is being built up into the full stature of Christ. In other words, we're being made to look like Christ. And this rooting and this building up in Christ is working to establish them or confirm them in their faith. So Paul says to the Colossians, and he says to us today, uh, that when the pressures, when the struggles, when the conflicts, when the confusion and the doubts, the uncertainty of our current circumstance threatens us, remember that when you received Christ, you were rooted by him in him. And even though this rooting took place in the past, its effects have been working up until this day, building you, shaping you, molding you into the very stature, the very image of Christ. And as you see this process occurring, these changes happening to you, your faith is established. Your faith is confirmed that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and that he is doing in you and in me exactly what he said that he would do. And then he says at the end of verse eight, that when we remember this, that we have been rooted in Christ and that we are now being built up, right, to look like Christ, as a result, our faith is now being confirmed in Christ. He says that our natural response is that we will be overflowing with gratitude, that we'll be extremely grateful, abounding in thanksgiving that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, not only forgave us of our sins, but he is using the ups and downs of life, that he's using the ins and the outs, the mountaintops and the valleys to make us look like Jesus. Think about that. We who were once far off have now been brought near to God. We who were once lost have now been found. We who were blind now have been given sight. We who were once headed to hell have a, ma a mansion prepared for us in heaven. We who had earned death because of our sins are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We who were once enemies of God 
can now call him Abba Father. Hmm. And this brings me to my second takeaway. And that is that leaning into Christ, right? It involves us being intentional about remembering what Christ has done for us. And I don't mean skimming across the high points, right? He was born, he, uh, he bled, he died, and he got up again. That little piddling accounting of what Christ did for us is the reason why we're so quick to put Christ back in the tomb after Easter and why we don't want to let him get out of the manger at Christmas time, right? <clears throat> why we don't see value in reading and studying his word, why our prayer life is relegated to right before we eat and right before we get on a plane. But if we took a few minutes to think about how Christ has rooted us in him and to think about how Christ is now building us up to look like him, then we would find that our faith would become deeper. Our faith would become stronger. And despite what might be happening all around us, we would have joy because of what we know is happening inside of us. Hmm. So to lean into Christ, we must remind ourselves of who Christ is in our lives. Secondly, we must remember what Christ has done for us. And lastly, we must remember, uh, well, excuse me, I'm sorry, we must remove those things that are contrary to Christ. Paul, right, having laid some serious groundwork in verses six and seven, now gives them a warning in verse eight that is wrapped in an imperative. The imperative is in the see to it. In other words, Paul is commanding the Colossians. He's commanding them to be watchful, to be alert, to stay on their toes. The warning is that there are active forces trying to take you captive, trying to put you in bondage and trying to take away your freedom. And these forces come in two forms, philosophy and empty deceit. Now, Philosophy is one of these words that the meaning is easily derived from the roots of the two Greek words that make it up. Uh, you have philos, which means love, and sophia, meaning wisdom. So philosophy is literally the love of wisdom. <clears throat> and Paul pairs philosophy, or the love of wisdom, with empty deceit. And to the ears of our postmodern world, uh, this may seem a little harsh. Right. Because uh, we asking ourselves, why is it that Paul would equate philosophy and empty deceit? I mean, after all, what's wrong with loving wisdom? Proverbs is a book about wisdom. But if we keep reading, we see that this love of wisdom isn't a love of wisdom according to God, but it's according to human traditions and according to elemental spirits of this world. So this love of wisdom is a love of human wisdom, a wisdom that is based in human understanding, that's based in human intellect and human reasoning. Hmm. But it is also based in something else. Now, the Colossians would have understood completely what Paul was meaning here because they were living in this reality. But as we read it today, it's not exactly clear to us exactly what Paul means by elemental spirits or elemental teachings, as some of your translations may read, of this world, right? Some scholars think that he is referencing uh, a belief in earthly spirits that needed to be feared and appeased because they could harm uh, the, the Colossians. 
And others suggest that it may be pointing to the fact that the Colossians had failed to grow in their faith adequately. And, and, and that led to a tendency of them being caught up in elemental or simple things. But I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time, right, trying to figure out exactly what's meant by elemental spirits or elemental teachings, because at the end of the day, Paul tells us that whatever these things are, that these things are not according to Christ. So in other words, Paul tells the Colossians, look, you all better stay alert and be on your guard to make sure that you don't get caught up in worldviews and ways of thinking that are based in man's intellect and understanding of the world. Instead, you need to make sure that your worldview, your way of processing what's happening around you is based in Christ. And this brings me to my third and final takeaway. And that is that leaning into Christ, it requires us to remove anything that is contrary to him. Anything that takes him off of the throne of our lives, anything that says that he isn't enough needs to be cast aside. We are all guilty of taking our faith in Christ and mixing it with a little something else, some worldly way of thinking. And, and as a result, some of us trust more in what a telescope, a microscope or a horoscope can tell us more than the words of Christ. Leaning into Christ means that it is straight Jesus with no chasers. So <clears throat> when we find ourselves in circumstances and situations that create cross pressures, that create struggles, that create conflict and confusion, that uh, can cause doubts to arise and can create uncertainty, we need to lean into Christ. And we do that by reminding ourselves of who Christ is in our lives. When we see him for who he is, a high priest, a prophet, and a king, and really internalize that, our only response is then to live a life that reflects the reality of who he is. We also lean into Christ by remembering what Christ has done for us. We have been rooted in him. We are being built up by him so that one day we will look like him. And finally, removing things that are contrary to Christ. We can't lean into Christ, still trying to live and operate and think like the world. But some of you still may be saying to yourself, look, Elder Wright, that's all well and good, but why lean into Christ? You, you talked about how to lean into Christ, but why lean into Christ? In these uncertain times, why look to him? And that's a fair question. And one that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul anticipated would be asked because he then goes on and writes in verse nine for in him, Christ, he's talking about in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And there it is. We lean into Christ, not because he was a good teacher. We lean into Christ, not because he was a good man. We lean into Christ, not because he provided a good example, but we lean into Christ because he is God and he is able to hold us. He is able to keep us. He's able to comfort us. He is able to guide us, to steady us, to protect us and preserve us. And you can experience Christ in all of his fullness. But first, you have to have a relationship with him. 
And you can have that relationship right here and right now by acknowledging that you are a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has a standard by which all of creation is to operate by. And when we find ourselves violating that standard, that's when we fall into sin. And when we acknowledge that we are sinners, then we have to accept, right? That those sins can be forgiven because of the work that Christ did on the cross. It is because of him standing in our place. It is because of his sacrifice that we can have a right relationship with a holy God. And then finally, we then must allow him to become Lord of our lives. It's not enough to acknowledge that you are a sinner. It's not even enough to just kind of know that Christ died on the cross. But all of those have to lead us to a place where we say, hmm, because of what you did for me, Christ, because you are my high priest, my prophet, and my king, because I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I needed someone to cover me, I now submit my life to you and allow you to be Lord of my life. And you can have that relationship with Christ and experience all of his fullness as you lean into him in these uncertain times. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that although given over 2,000 years ago, it is just as timely today as it was when these authors penned these letters. I thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. Not just that we have an example to look to, not just that we have teachings to follow, but that we actually have a relationship that we can lean into. I pray, God, that you would help us to reflect upon our lives. Help us to look at where we aren't leaning on Christ, where we're leaning on other things. Help us to look at where we are looking at things through the world's lenses and not according to Christ. Help us, God, to remember all the things that Christ has done for us so that in these uncertain times, we can have certainty in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. We pray that you were blessed by this video. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.